Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today's show, we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. And I just want to add that again today, and it is a treat. Mimi Emerall has joined us in the studio. Thank you so much. Dr. Mimi Mimi. Emerall. No, this is the way to (laughs) aggravate her. (laughs) And I'm here with Dr. Peter Bernstein. (laughs) Thank you, Jenny. Yeah. Well... I'm glad to be here today. Uh, you know, the show should have been turned on about 10 minutes ago. We've been having an excellent conversation here. Uh, some of it is a continuation of what we spoke about in the last episode. Um, and we want to continue with that, t- that, that, that focus. But we want to talk about some other things as well this week. But uh, Mimi was talking about, she has a book coming out and uh, she wanted to talk about more. And I think it's very important. I've gone, I've been through this experience too, um, about the logistics of dealing with end of life uh, types of situations that can be pretty hairy. Yes. And under a lot of distress and duress too, to come to deal with things like, um, you know, putting together a funeral, memorial service, death certificates, uh, dealing with hospice, dealing with a lot of the, the uh, formal kinds of things and they are really important and it's it's really good for people to know about because when they do reach that point it's nice to not have to go completely by the seat of your pants under incredible distress and pain particularly for a family caregiver for whom they are grieving and 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 depleted at this point or it prolongs the grieving because you're doing and the, the the grieving process kind of gets pushed aside, and you're in you're in the mode of of taking care of taking care of, and That's then the, right. the grieving gets or the processing. Aside. Yes, it's more of a more of a okay. Um, I'm in soldier mode, you know. Absolutely, I'm glad you said it that way because I was going to say it <laughs> mm-hmm. that it doesn't prolong it; it puts it aside, so you don't even get to grieving for a while. Yes, because you're de- and she's absolutely the right. pause button. Yeah. We it's have talked button. about that. It's yes. the uh, and I don't think it's the best one, but it it is a pause button. And the thing is that the grief will hit you harder afterwards because yes. you don't have time to process it because you're so busy dealing with the logisticals um, correct and so she's right about that Mm -hmm. and so she's got a lot of skills and knowledge about that right and experience yeah i do now i mean on the first uh, go around with my my father um i was soldiering on making sure everything was okay Mm -hmm. etc etc this time around with my mom i'm processing every day as i go because i have experience now you know I, i i it's not as unknown territory as it was with my father so when you say you're processing every day what does that mean that means everything um from helping her process her 
physical elements, emotional elements. I can hold the container and a space for her and really can truly can hold what? A contain I mean a space so she can she can express her sorrow and grief and pain around her not understanding what's happening to her body or how it's oh, you know okay getting fragile i guess you would say or explain to her or help her through um understanding what the doctors are telling her that can happen or will happen i'm i i was there with my father with all of that and i was hospice and i was the one giving all the medication we didn't have hospice care come in um i did everything and at that point i was soldiering on i was just doing what needed to be done and um holding the space for my mom and others but wasn't allowed to embrace my own process at let that me, point let me ask you something um i understand what you're talking about as a clinician but i i learning to speak more as uh, not as a clinician Correct. you said holding the space well uh, sitting next to someone is that what it means yeah basically um sitting next to someone and allowing them to not trying to fix them, not trying to give them direction, not trying to um, make them better, but just allow, just hearing them, sit there and hearing them, mm. you know, not judging them for their pain or their fear or their whatever, mm. just letting them talk. Holding space, very clinical. Sitting with a friend or a family member or just even a stranger sometimes, because I've done that, mm. um, and just allowing them to grieve their own process mm -hmm. or feel their own own um, feelings without judgment and then you know say well what can I, I do to help you is there anything I can do to comfort you and sometimes you don't want to comfort someone because it's too much stimulation it's too overbearing they just would like someone just to sit there and this just is, this is bringing up something that that Peter and and I have done for forever as, as I can remember is that uh, particularly when we're working with a couple or a family uh, one person will be in pain and start to cry and the other person will have a hard time just sitting there and allowing it to happen they'll be grabbing the tissues mm -hmm. and and thrusting the tissues in their hands like you know like and it's not not really for the person crying the person crying needs to be able to let go of this mm -hmm. pain. Yes. It's for the person who's uncomfortable and what they're doing in, in your terms is they're not holding a space. They're not just yes. being there. Yes, and that's actually a really good example. That's a good example. Really good example because uh, sometimes even when you reach in when somebody cries, it could be anybody, um, and you reach in and you hug them, be mindful. Are you hugging them because you are feeling uncomfortable and want to fix it or make it better? Or are you hugging them because that's what they really truly want? And before, I mean, communicate, ask, would you like me to hug you or touch you? And if someone says no, don't take it personally. It just means that at that moment they just want to be, they don't want you to go away, but they just want to be able to be in that space and cry if they have to or say bad words if they have to or, you know, verbalize in whatever way they need to or, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just sitting, not trying to fix. Got it. It's, I, I got what you're talking about. Well, sounds right to me. Sounds, uh, it is right. So thank you, Mimi. That's good. Um, the other thing we want to talk about today is, and something that I have 
wanted to tie keep a, a connection with and that is this whole program that we've started here 39 episodes ago yeah. was about the value uh, and the importance of embracing challenges and difficulties in life and not running away um we talked about it in a book written called transformative resilience speaks about it very well really nicely um about how important it is uh, for people to not be so avoidant of the difficulties in life, but when they come, to embrace them as part of life, as difficult as they may be, and to have hope that they're going to come through it and there's going to be things, even though you can't see it at the time, there's going to be other things that happen that are going to be better eventually and something good will come out of it. Sometimes that's hard to remember when the emotion's running so deeply and hard, difficult. But um, that was to, we've talked about how important it is to develop resilience uh, through the difficulties and adversity, yes. not by avoiding them. And we've, and we've talked about how uh, folks who want to run away, and this is a common occurrence, particularly during really distressing times, like Mimi's referring to. That's not unusual for people to find excuses to run away. They find excuses to be angry. Uh, they find excuses to avoid the whole situation and pretend like it's not existing. And so they bury themselves in other things so they don't have to look at it and face it. The problem with that is when the truth really hits home, they're in trouble because they haven't really gone through enough of it. They've avoided it to the point where they don't have much resilience deep within themselves. And then all of a sudden it's on top of them. So they may have thought that they're going to live a life that's more untouched by these difficulties. But the truth is that's a disadvantage. And in the end, they become very fragile. And uh, they can't hold, as, as Mimi said, they can't hold the space for us, other people. They can't even hold it for themselves. Yeah. They spend so much time avoiding. And one of the things I've learned, and I've been in the the world of the, as a therapist, as a psychologist, and now as a mentor and consultant and coach, one of the things that I've seen that I now that I didn't even understand for 49 years is how common it is when these difficulties really hit, these traumatic, traumatizing life difficulties come at us. How many people and families run away and avoid? Yes. And they all of a sudden, don't, you, they disappear. And they have all kinds of reasons to do it. And they, they can even get angry and blame other people, but it's always excuses. And um, when at first happened in my family it, it, knowing myself I didn't handle it very nicely and I didn't inside it, it was upsetting to me because I'm just not that way but boy when I saw how many caregiving families going mm -hmm. how, how deal with this I was overwhelmed how common it is and uh, how difficult it is to deal with folks that are running away and just don't want to help they don't want to be involved. They don't even want to look at the situation. Um, so I look at that. Those folks think that they're getting somehow uh, untouched by what's happening and they're going to be do better. It's exactly the opposite. So we've been talking about caregiving and caregivers. And these are the folks that don't run away. These mm -hmm. are the folks that embrace this very difficult part of life, either as a profession or as families that are going through it, it happens to everybody. 
if you're a family member, it, could, it just happens to everybody. If you're a professional, or kind of a professional, um, you're choosing to take great responsibility for other people and not run away, but to embrace the difficulty and the adversity. And actually, as Mimi says, to hold space for these folks, to be there for them in whatever way they need. Yes. It's an outstanding calling in life. Now that we're involved in it, not just personally, but helping many other families, we're seeing the complexity of this. Very. Mm-hmm. And... Um, We'll talk about that on our break because we're learning a lot about even caregivers' reactions uh, and why they don't handle their own emotional lives very well. That's a good topic. Yes. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our first segment today, and I want to add that, again, we are having a treat. Uh, Mimi is with us again today, Uh, Mimi Emerald. Mimi and Peter have uh, a couple of threads they want to follow from our previous discussion, and Mimi's is to uh, go back to uh, some of the logistics, some of the process uh, of the experience of uh, going through uh, with a loved one, caregiving, and uh, through death and dying, yes. and some of the some of the things that she'd like to add to the discussion around that. And Peter uh, wants to return to because it's so important the importance of resilience, developing resilience by not running away when presented with an opportunity to be a caregiver for a loved one, uh, or uh, as in a professional way. And how not running away allows us, as we go through adversity, to become stronger, more resilient, more able to be there for the person we're caring for. And uh, that's our joining point here, how to be there for the person that we care for, uh, logistically, emotionally. Well, we're going to talk about the logistics, too, for caregivers. Yes. But I but I wanted to know, I, I don't want to just hear myself talk. I want to hear Mimi. Thank and, you. Because uh, I heard some things last week. I learned something last time, last episode. Um, Mimi is a much more forgiving person than I am. And uh, I haven't been one to look at these individuals who run away under these, under these difficulties and go, oh, I can understand how they feel. Well, the truth is that's a weak point because I don't. And I'm one of these people that when I'm presented with difficulty, I've been this way my whole life. I embrace it no matter where it takes me. And I certainly gained a tremendous amount of strength and resilience from it and a lot of scars. Um, And that to me is the core of life. I actually find a fulfillment, not always pleasantly arrived at, I don't mean that, but I find that that's what life's about, is whatever presents, to embrace it mm-hmm. um, and to do good with it, make the best of it, hold someone's space for it, uh, um, give my own strength and make my own sacrifices to help others. I've been doing that for a long time. So when somebody doesn't, Peter isn't a Mimi. 
<laughs> no. Mimi's like sits there, and I say this, I don't want to uh, in any way um, be critical here. Mimi's got a better take on this than Peter. Well, thank you. It's the truth. I I listened very carefully last week, and I did get a little something out of it. You're going to have to go a long way to get to me. Yes. But I really, <laughs> no, honestly, I listened carefully, and I do, re I do believe you're right. Thank you. Um, emotionally, it's a hard one for me to swallow, I'll yeah, say it's that. A, it's a big peel, and I know that uh, you're not the only one. I had I know, to I help um, quite a few humans mm -hmm. go through this with their family members, and they just didn't understand. And my subjective point of view on this, especially when I'm sitting there observing everybody around a situation like this and you can see the ones that are just don't they just don't have the tools within them and it's going to cause more damage within them until they're ready mm -hmm. to be able to process that and it's everybody's time and everybody's journey when it comes to a loved one or anybody you know who has passed on or is going to pass on or who has a disease or who is you know ill in whatever way um, not all of us are are able to do what you do, and I think it's wonderful and strong, and to be able to face it and sit there, and then also, I you know, I've heard you say that you know there's a fine line when you sit there and you face it and you stay in it, but that fine line is when it becomes toxic, then it has to change and you got to get out. I've heard you say that as well, but in this circumstance, um, with your wife, you know, just kind of holding her space for her no matter how hard it gets i think that's beautiful yeah i you think know? what we were talking about a little different we we're talking about the toxicity of certain relationships not of caregiving because yes and i'll talk about that that's a good lead-in to what i want to talk about today because there are certain relationships and i don't mean the people you're taking care of no that but are family members very draining and mm -hmm. very negative and depleting correct um and that's that's the ones that can get very toxic and when you're in the midst one thing i've learned when you're in the midst of helping somebody it takes every bit of energy everything you got everything you got and more mm -hmm. um to help them and to be there for them and to find strength within yourself so these other relationships can be so depleting absolutely and they do create toxicity and draining of energy uh, that to me absolutely that i don't we almost can't tolerate that because we don't have the time. And I've gotten very, I would say efficient wouldn't be the word, but careful. Yeah. That if I'm in a situation like that, I get out. Yes. I don't mean of the caregiving. I mean no. of the other relationships that are not offering. Empowerment, support. Nourishment, nurturing, yeah. input. And I have more relationships like that can I, that I can even tell you about. But when one of the others comes, I can immediately feel that this is going to be a not a good thing. Yes. And I don't waste my time. Yes. And I don't really, I've never been one person to worry too much about what other people think. But I'm well-liked in, in, in life. I like, but those folks are wasting my energy that I can't afford. Exactly. So I don't indulge that anymore. Good. I, I don't have the time. Good. So I pay closer attention all the time, more, get more sensitive to that. But... Uh, yeah, that's important to just clarify that. But the the thing that you have that I need to have more of is an understanding and a compassion for folks that can't seem to 
muster up the strength or the I call it character and integrity yes. and empathy to be at someone's side when they're suffering and in pain. Um, yeah. Not everyone has that capacity, and that's okay. It's not something to feel guilty for or bad about, or it's good to know your capacity so you don't become one of those toxic people pulling on you. Okay. I mean, you but know? I got a question. Here's yes. a, no, I'm with you. Here's what I, my thoughts, though, yes. are, um, and this is a thought, but it's also a question. Um, and I'll tell you where this comes from. We did a, did we do a group last week? There was something that came up. We do have a number of people. Mm -hmm. that carry pretty heavy cross about not being there mm -hmm. for their loved ones when they were dying and sick and they left. And they carry such a heavy burden of guilt with very little closure to this day. And this could be many years. Yes. One, a couple of things we've seen come out of it that are very positive, though, um, is that later on, though, because they carry that burden... They make it up tenfold by helping other people and having a deeper sense of empathy and understanding than they had before. Yes. It, it, so you can see a spiritual change in people because they've done something that is that it's a burden that they it's a burden that they carry for their whole life mm -hmm. that they weren't there when they know they should have been or they ran away when they know they shouldn't have, or they could have handled it differently. They never get closure. So that's, I've seen a lot of that. Yes. I've also seen, and we've had people on our staff, who do, they're the best at understanding the heart of folks like you're talking about, because today they're not like that at all. In fact, they're the opposite. Because, of they, because they didn't do what they needed to do at the time today, they're the best caregivers. Yeah. It's part of their burden from their own wounds, and it has a value, a spiritual value, and a practical value. They have empathy mm -hmm. for others, but they always warn, I've heard them do this many times, warn other people that are doing what they did against yes. it. Yeah. And they say, I can only speak for, I want to speak from my personal experience. If you do this, this is a burden you're going to be carrying for the rest of your life, and it's painful. Yes. And it's... I can say it because I did it, and I want to warn you against it not to do it. Now, I'm not saying they succeed, mm -hmm. but they can come with a deeper empathy than Peter, yes. because Peter never did that. Yeah. So these folks do, there is something of value that comes out of it that doesn't relieve the, the wound that they carry. And it's not just a scar, it's a wound. Yes. And they carry it for the rest of their life. But that was part of their journey. Yeah. And it's not to be judged. And they got to where they needed to go, and now they're even helping others. So without that experience, they wouldn't be able to testify of not doing it. And I agree with you on that. I and absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I think one of the ways you put it is that for some of the people who run away or avoid, mm -hmm. uh, you'd say that they, they didn't have the tools to didn't. process the situation. And, and one of the ways you might put it is that, that up to that point in their life, they, they arrived there unprepared. Absolutely. for the experience that they were thrust into. And maybe there was no one there at the time to help them uh, to, to know how to um, grow except uh, stay with the process and not run away. Yeah, or feel it without falling on the ground like a three-year-old who doesn't know how to process anything or feel anything, you know. Well, there's a lot of different variations because I've helped a lot of people over the years. Yes. 
who would face it. And the other thing is they had a lot of resentment and bitterness toward the person yeah. that was sick and dying. And no one could have count, could counsel them on to do it differently than what they did. They paid for it later. Yes. But I've been there at the, I've been the person that's been there to say, don't do this. Yes. You're going to pay for it later. Put your resentments aside. The yeah. bitterness is in the history and just deal with a very difficult part of life. I can't say I've always been successful. Mm-hmm. and But I have been there for these people afterwards. For And I've seen how they suffer yes. for years. Yes. And and yet, though, that, the, that can be the wake-up call. That they go, I was not prepared for this. I have regrets that I wasn't doing it. I couldn't do it or I didn't do it. And this is some part of me that I need to take a look at what got in the way what was yeah. what was it that prevented me that I allowed to prevent me from doing this Absolutely. important yeah. thing it's a it's it can be like we say <laughs> adversity can be an opportunity yeah. and this can be for other people it's a it's an yes. absolutely healthier way to look at the whole experience but yes and i would say at the at the juncture of when it's happening it's a little hard to step back and go, well, they're going to do so much better and they're going to learn so much from this. I'm not one of those kind of people. Yeah. No. And I don't believe in that. No. I believe no, dealing with the situation that's presenting itself at the time. In the back of my mind from life experience and coming alongside those people, oh, I, they can grow from it and change. I know that. But at the time, that's not what I'm telling them. What no. I'm telling them is... Do this the right way, and you won't have to carry the burden so deeply. Yes. So, you know, I'm not God, and uh, I'm not the one that's the designer of their their life's path. But I do know that, in the fr- you know, I'm put on those front lines to help people. So I counsel them on what would be the most constructive way to approach it. It usually is, don't run away. Or let's deal with this in a different way that you're not going to be so burdened with regret afterwards. Absolutely. Yes. Now, it doesn't mean I'm always successful, but that would be the way I approach it. Planting seeds. Hmm? All you can do is plant the seeds. They've got to water it and want to expand. And That's that's right. Yeah, that's, that's true. Walk the path. That's right. But anyway, so we we're going to... So anyway, folks, so we, that's a good thing to keep in mind. This is really an important subject that comes yeah. up plenty. Um, but in the meantime... There's another part to this that uh, Mimi was going to talk about, and that was... Let's, l- let's get to that yeah. in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, just before our break, we were talking about really what I, I think we could call the tragedy of the times when uh, someone uh, is called uh, to care for someone they love or to at least be part of their life and part of the process of, of disease, disability, death and through whatever has is gone on inside them they are not able or not willing to stay with it and they run away mm-hmm. and what can be contributing to that what is the long-term outlook for that or what is the real the real loss uh in that experience mm-hmm. um 
this time uh, we wanted to return. I know just before the break, Peter, you wanted to return to uh, something that Mimi had brought up, and I, I do. I want to cut you off. So no, no, I want to. I want to hear from Mimi about some of the important logistical situations that will come up that people need to be aware of, and then I also want to talk about um, how important it is for these folks that do embrace caregiving, uh, family members as well as others. Um, on what they have to pay attention to. And what we're discovering doesn't happen very often and has long-term consequences as far as quality of caregiving. Um, I say professional caregiver. I don't think I want to use that word. My experience is telling me they're not professionals, but they're not family members, and they are people that do it as as work. So you could maybe say paid caregivers. Paid caregivers. I'd like to see them deal with it more as professionals in the sense of taking responsibility for what it means to do this kind of job Mm -hmm. and it's a big responsibility and self-care is so crucial to the longevity of the quality of the work they're going to do for people in need. That fits right into logistics, I believe. Yes, yes, yes. it actually does. Okay, so Um, what were you going to say? Self-care. What's the name of your book? Um, oh, you put me on the spot here. I, you I forgot drew your book? a blank. Totally drew a blank. I caught um, her. It's I called <laughs> uh, Death Before and After Survivor's Guide. It basically, you know, I, I tried to put in as much as I could about the experience and journey and then get testimonies from others who've experienced it. And it goes anywhere from, you know, before um, someone passes away, um, it talks about. Uh, hospice care and how hospice when you're put on hospice doesn't mean that's it that's the end you're going towards the end you can come off a hospice care Mm -hmm. and that can go back and forth multiple times before someone passes that's exactly right Um, then you get into palliative care and you get into the logistics or the dysfunction or tightness of family dynamics and how that ties into if anybody's going to help or if it lands on one one family member to take care of everything. Um, and what, then, happens that, what happens with that? Oh, there's just so much that happens with that. Is that considered palliative? <laughs> um, the palliative care is more of keeping, uh, from my understanding, um, the patient or family member comfortable, comfortable. until they pass. Yeah. Um, I mean medically comfortable. Yeah. Um, with medications and right. kind of maybe in that in and out of phase where you're not really awake but you're not really under all the way um, we had to um, keep my dad comfortable we'll say sure. uh, once we ended up bringing him to mm-hmm. the hospital mm-hmm. and I'm glad the doctor was there to tell him while he was, why he was in the hospital because we gave him our word that he could pass at home and we just didn't have the equipment that we needed meaning the medication And that's something I would really, really, really like to kind of note. And maybe later on, you guys can discuss this with a hospice care worker or whomever. But in each county, and I didn't know this until I went through this with my father, um, each county is funded and different counties are funded more than others. And the county that my father uh, resided in uh, when he passed wasn't highly funded. Um, so they didn't have all the medications we needed. And my, my father had, and I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly, mesothelioma, which is asbestos cancer. And before he passed away, he had multiple. And when I say multiple, I'm probably more than 15 or 20 tumors in his brain. So basically when he, he passed, um, or was going that direction, 
um, he had a stroke and I saw it happening because I was on the other side of the table and had to run around the table and catch him before he hit the tile floor. Mm -hmm. And then he started having seizures. So mm -hmm. we had medication, but we didn't have enough. So after me being awake 50 hours straight to take care of him, um, we just had, we had to call an ambulance and have him taken to the hospital because we didn't have seizure medicine. So that's a very big thing logistically. Um, if you're going to, try to have it done at your own family home or a home. Is Without to, hospice, you mean? About hospice. Is, is to make sure that the county is funded enough to actually do it. How long ago was that? Oh, goodness. Please don't quote me, but I think Poppy died around five years ago. I think it's been coming up on five Just years. five years ago? Yeah, coming up and on five years. And counties still don't have hospice care? Some counties don't. Well, they have no, he, hospice. he was on hospice. But they, I, I took care of him. All hospice did, and it was actually a Friday, is drop off medication at the front door. They dropped off the wrong medication, and I will not tell what county this is. Um and then they didn't drop off seizure medications, and uh, I couldn't get a hold of anybody because uh, it was Friday, and they weren't going to be open again until Monday. And mm. by the time, you know, Sunday night came, I, literally I was awake for 50 hours taking care of my father, mm. um, giving him the medication I could. And um, mm. my dad was a man's man, so try to tell him, no, Daddy, you can't get out of bed, and you're his youngest daughter. Um, so, it, you know having that kind of i guess authority over your father towards the towards the end it was kind of you know hard on him i could see it in his eyes yeah sure, you know sure. um but uh, we did the best we could and the doctor um which i'd like to give a shout out if that's okay um at saint Helena hospital who actually helped my father transition um his name is uh dr ethan schramm incredible incredible um cancer doctor based out of the cancer center at St. Helena. Highly recommend him. Mm -hmm. He's the one, my dad woke up in the hospital and uh, I was looking at him like, you get to tell him because I'm not going to tell him. <laughs> so he, he told my dad, look, you're in the hospital because we, they didn't have the right medicine and you need to stay here. And you know, my dad accepted that. So, mm -hmm. and then five days later, we slept in the hospital. Five days later, he passed. But that's one of the main, you know, prior to um, passing that I think is very, very important if you want to try to do it from your your home, family home. Well, you know, it's interesting because what you're describing is the opposite of our experience with hospice. Oh, well, but I'm glad that you had a really wonderful experience. We still do. We have a relationship with hospice. That's wonderful. Um, with our work and with my wife, and they have been incredible. Yeah. Very responsive. Um, mm. So whatever, I didn't know the difference in counties, uh, although I'm also dealing with my mother who's in hospice care in Florida. And that's a different kind of situation. That the, actually, the hospice is run by profit. It's a for-profit. It's for-profit corporations. Really so I guess there's sort of a, a, a different approach in different parts of the country. I guess. Yes. But uh, our people here, who and we're going to have one of them on mm -hmm. soon, by the way, as mm -hmm. a guest. They knew about that corporation, and they didn't like. <laughs> yeah, they they, like they just they were very diplomatic. They said, "We're glad that you're having a good experience with yeah, it." Yeah, we but did. We have been with the folks at work yes. for hospice there. They've been terrific. Mm -hmm. uh, the pi people that we work with here are like right on our team with us, and that's, that's wonderful. Been, oh yeah, we have fabulous 
relationships with hospice. They are here. available and so responsive and so. But uh, on the other hand, you you're not going to know exactly until exactly. unless you know someone who has used the hospice services in your area, mm-hmm. you may not know what's going to happen. Well, you know, it's interesting what Mimi said though. We've had that experience where. Because you're in hospice does not mean that's the end. Exactly. Because uh, with Lynn, we've had hospice there for months, and then they said she's coming out of it. That was one thing our, our nurse said, and she's again with us. She said that many, many, a number of times hospice will go into a situation, and what's needed is some, uh, some uh, support, education, and a chance to help kind of stabilize the situation for mm-hmm. for the patient what you know help adjust medications and mm-hmm. care and help the family support and and they like it when by coming in they can help bring a situation to be more stable and healthy and someone can go off hospice care yeah yeah so can that's go, the key. Wait, they wait can go off a hospice. That they can they can graduate oh, oh, out oh, of hospice oh. care yeah. because of because of the hospice organization coming in and helping with the areas that the family's struggling with. Correct. Yes. And that's the key right there is that you can get off or come off or graduate off hospice care. Because sometimes when families hear, okay, we got to put them on hospice, they're like, oh my gosh, this is the end. And then they get on this little roller coaster ride because then they get off and then they get back on and then they get off and they're like emotionally drained from not knowing when this is going to happen. It can happen. When I did my internship, there was this one family, amazing humans. Um, Basically, they were on that roller coaster ride with their mom who had an illness um, and for for multiple multiple years and i'm not i'm not saying like a year or two i'm talking five years you mm-hmm. go on and come off and mm-hmm. go on and come mm-hmm. off and you prepare yourself emotionally okay this is going to be it i need to exhale i need to grieve i need to prepare that i have to say goodbye and then you're like oh wait a minute and then you go back i'm to, on that roller coaster yeah, yeah. 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 it's Absolutely. not easy it's not no. easy. I would say that's an understatement. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But the people on, at hospice have been, they are wonderful. I'm really glad you have that experience. Oh, we have very excellent people. Good. And they love us. They've never seen the kind of approach we take. Good. Where we work in teams of caregivers at our at our place and with other families. Yeah. And uh, it's a much, it's yeah. a it's a nicer approach. It's it's that makes can, me happy to hear. It mm-hmm. really does. Well, we can do a lot. We're doing a lot that they've never seen. Hospice thinks they've never. We've been told that they've never seen a, a more effective team. Good. Than than what we do, um, and it's an excellent model. So we we hope that more families will do it. Um, that, uh, time will tell. Yeah. But we're doing it. Good. And it, and it works. I couldn't do it without the team. Yeah. It's so, good that you you have let everyone know that too. Your audience now knows that you know if you're going through this experience, reach out to you guys. Absolutely. You know. you know we have a design that works. We evaluate our own teams. We make sure that if somebody's gotten triggered, which we talked about earlier, that we will actually pull them off the front lines or give them extra support for a while. Or give them direction. We I mean, do well. This, if you've never done this before. You're learning as you go in a really quick, fast way. Okay. And with our teams, it's an ongoing learning process, exactly. not for one person, but for five. Exactly. And they're quite, they have a lot of expertise. And yeah. uh, it's, it's great work, i got to say. I'm, I'm constantly impressed with what I see Good. and how kind and nourishing and nurturing. We're able to keep that nourishing, nurturing relationship. Yes. Uh, fresh. I have a question, and it's actually in my book. I do also discuss um, assisted suicide. 
which is a very touchy, touchy subject. But I figured that since I'm talking about all this, I wanted to add that in. Um, and I just kind of, you know, want your your insight on if somebody's terminally ill and they decide, you know, die with dignity. That's a hard subject. But I, I did touch on it in the book. That's one of Good, the I'm glad you did because it's not an area of expertise to me. What I have learned to do is respect where people are, though, yes. and not judge them. Exactly. And I've had friends of mine that did, uh, they did go to more of an assisted suicide approach, and that's what they wanted. Yeah. And they were in terrific pain, too. Oh, yes. Well, uh, you can't just do it because you want to. No, no. There, there's were, criteria a They lot. were in terrific pain. So I have been part of that. Mm-hmm. As far as being a proponent, I'm not a proponent or not. It's just like if that's what a person chooses, Yeah. well, I guess that's something you got to get out of the choice. way and give them support for that. Yeah. But I haven't had that. Um, other than these these friends of mine, these yes. people that have gone through it, but their pain was so excruciating. Exactly. That they couldn't bear it anymore. Exactly. But there's some states who allow it and some who do not. That's right. But that was one of the other things I added, and and uh, I thought that it was it was important to add into the book. It is. So I did. It is. Definitely. Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, in our last segment, uh, Mimi was uh, giving us some some important uh, topics out of her book, uh, recent book, and uh, title again, I have just lost it. It's okay, I did it too. <laughs> and uh, uh, death and, and everything after. Uh, and death before and after. Before and after. Survivor's Guide. Survivor's Guide. Uh, some of the topics she touches on in the book and, and today in our podcast were on uh, uh, hospice care, uh, palliative care, family dynamics, yes. uh, medications, uh, relatively, you know, ho- county's funding of the of the hospice process, and at the very end, just touched briefly on uh, the topic of assisted suicide. Yeah. Um, I do know h- here in our last segment uh, that we want to have time to mm-hmm. go into the um, the emotional. Uh, I want to get back to that. Yeah, Absolutely. let's make sure we get that. And there, there's a good reason. We are dealing with so many families mm-hmm. that are coming to us as part of Lynn's legacy. And we are finding caregivers. We're dealing with caregivers of all t- all types uh, for different situations. And boy, does it get complicated, the matches, match-ups and uh, so many different dynamics we're running into. So it's a complicated business. We're not an agency, and we're not going to be. So we're running it out of Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, which is a nonprofit for this. But I do want to talk about, and I feel it's so important, what we're discovering about caregivers Mm -hmm. is they know so little about how to take care of themselves. They don't seem to have a kind of a bottom line, a a balance point between their own personal histories, their own burdens, uh, their own areas that could be triggered of their own pain. And that's exactly... uh, what can be exposed during these very difficult types of work and, and 
involvements in relationships is this is a relationship where you are giving 100% of yourself. And usually people who do this are empathic people. They're more sensitive. They're more, there's a vulnerability to them. There's a, a more, a, they have an ability to care. Uh, and so that's a real, that to me, that's a great thing. Um, but what I'm also discovering is there's a responsibility, a great responsibility that goes with being a consistent, responsive and responsible caregiver. And what that means is being able to be there for somebody in a loving and nourishing and caring way. Um, and there's so much involved in this because the relationship has this exchange where we're giving, but because we're empathic folks, we're absorbing yes. a lot of the energy and the emotion uh, and, the, and the difficulty of the situation of taking care of someone who's ill or dying uh, or moving toward death. They're very difficult situations, all kinds. But it takes a toll. And this exchange is going to break us down. We're all going to get what we call emotionally exhausted from it. Um, there are ways to restore ourselves if we pay attention to it. But during that process, it strips us down to who we really are. And we can profess to be great caregivers, great spiritual people, whatever we can profess. But I'll be honest with you, this is one that exposes where you really are. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity at those points to, re to build those areas that aren't so strong. Um, but what we're discovering is a lot of people aren't aware of their own emotional lives. And they don't even know where they, where they are in their own emotional lives. They don't pay attention to something that we feel is so important and as the biology of emotions. Mm -hmm. And so they don't know their histories. They don't know the burdens they carry from that. And then these particular relationships will expose that. And you're taking on other people's burdens as well as your own and that takes a toll on you so you put those things together and what happens is the body begins to accumulate the the uh the stresses of of the and the burdens of the work now the key is to recognize it um to know when you've been triggered we've talked about in the, in the past which means actually current situations are bringing up old material and old emotional content from your past and when they run together and you don't know it there's a thing called acting out that begins to happen it's really an accumulation of resentment that your body is beginning to pile up resentment and good intentions are only going to go so far in that if you don't recognize what's going on in your own body the pain that it's causing what an, an angry emotion feels like what, an, what a sad emotion feels like uh, what a fearful emotion feels like. And I mean physically. Mm -hmm. The chances are it's going to catch you off guard, and by that time, you're going to be on overload with resentment, bitterness, and not wanting to work. Now, the end result of that, we've talked about many times, is burnout. When people are done, they don't want to do the work anymore. They become neglectful. They don't, they're not part of a, a nurturing, nourishing relationship anymore that these folks that they're taking care of need. So the caregivers have a great responsibility to learn to be professional in the sense of self-care. And that means you've got to know yourself. You've got to know how your body feels, what it carries, what it's, when I say propensities, I'll translate that. It's like if you're me, you know that there's a side to you that carries a lot of anger. 
and what that does to my body and how tight I get and how my heart starts to race and how I'm ready to attack or protect or whatever. Um, I know myself and I know what that feels like physically, which it hurts. It causes muscular constriction. So I can recognize that. No. Now, what's going on in the situation now that would be provoking that? It may not be anything other than emotional exhaustion beginning to expose it. There's others that grow very fearful. And uh, that and has a freeze. Yeah. And they freeze or mm -hmm. they begin to, their energy gets low. Mm -hmm. And they begin to lose their engaging qualities. And it's not a soft, loving feeling. It's a withdrawn... It's a remote... Numbing. Yeah, yeah, numbing. It's a yeah. numbing. It's yeah. a shutting down. Unavailable. Yeah. Unavailable. A, a certain deadness. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's not good either. Um, and then, of course, there's fear. Yeah. And fearfulness takes over, and you get the racing heart, and you get that petrified feeling. Of a panic, yeah. Panic. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people panic, and they don't even know they're panicking. That's, That's so true, seen. so true. We've seen that a lot, and then we see the offshoots of that in behavior. The reactiveness. The reactiveness instead of responsiveness, and mm -hmm. the damage that that can cause. Yes. So we're saying that to be a responsible caregiver, you've got to know your own emotional life. That's your baseline to go mm -hmm. from. And then anything that's added to that from the relationship of caregiving relationship, you're aware that then you know that you're going to have to take some uh, uh, remedial, you're going to have to do something about that. Um, I really encourage people to get help, to, to deal with the pain that they're carrying in their body that will, that will involve their emotional life. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I advise them to do it. Uh, there's lots of different ways to do it. If you're an angry person, you you tend to then to do some activities, to get to the gym, to do some uh, active activities that you like, um, to burn off some of that adrenaline and cortisol yeah. that's been raised to the through the roof already, um, because you don't want to be on a 24/7 hot burn for your adrenals. Um, so there's things to do. If you're somebody who is, um, let's see. Rest is really important when you're tired out. Yes. Um, and lots of water, too. Lots of water, lots staying of water. hydrated. Yes. And yeah. keeping your minerals. I swear, I didn't yeah. do this. And let me tell you how bad it can wind up feeling. Yeah. Make sure you don't get dehydrated and make sure you take your electrolytes. Yep. That yes. took an, a waitress in a local restaurant to tell me to do that after I had. Uh, gotten so depleted. Over de yeah. So yes. it's the, to learn to do those things, to eat a good, to eat well, to have good relationships, to do things on the outside that will kick your mind off things and shift you from your work for a while, yeah. um, to get yourself restored, mm -hmm. so you can come back fresh and re renewed. Those are some of the things. But I believe in the body work. I've made a life commitment uh, of how important that is, because that cathartic work can really clean out the buildup. And then your body comes back to a more settled place. And even though you've got to go back to a difficult situation, your head is clear again. Yeah. You're not all pent up and worked up. And you have room again. Because you've gotten rid of this accumulated physical and emotional pain. So it makes room for some positive things to, to, to uh, come into your life again. Mm -hmm. The other way, there is no room. It just pushes out any possibilities. I do believe people need to consider this. Caregivers, please hear me today. Uh, I know I have a great um, challenge ahead of me, 
but to get caregivers to take what I'm saying seriously so they stop what I call acting out where all of a sudden they don't show up they mm -hmm. don't call they leave people hanging we're seeing much too much of that I believe part of it is because they're emotionally shot and they don't know how to deal with their own emotional lives yeah. um, so we're learning it in practical terms uh, we see how important it is for them to be there for the folks they're taking care of. Um, and we're telling them, we're telling you now, there's things that you are doing to yourselves or you're not doing for yourself that are leading to these kinds of um, not really good kinds of behaviors. And I'm mm -hmm. running into an awful lot of it, so is Jenny. And I'm not a fan of it. But I see that these folks are tired. They're depleted. They go through a lot, but they don't. Know how they to don't do. have an understanding of what at you're talking all. about. Yeah. At That's all. why I don't call them professionals. Yeah, I would I say if you're a professional, that goes with the territory. Yeah. You've yeah. got to know how no, to care. No, it'd be yourself. more accurate to maybe call them paid caregivers. That's right. We'd like, to help, we'd like to help them become professional. Yeah, correct. Oh, well, That's what I wanted to touch on, too, is uh, you said caregivers caregivers um, paid or family members is yeah. one thing I wanted to touch on and then the second thing is that um, I I feel personally that it's so unknown and and so bypassed that that so many out there including you know family members and myself you don't realize that emotions can affect the body so much if you're holding them you know uh, people know that when you go out and you work out you get depleted because you're physically active emotions can do even more to mm -hmm. the body mm -hmm. if you're they're held and they're not you, you're not taking care of yourself and and cathartically releasing those in some way by talking and then moving through them and feeling them and then changing the situation um drinking water electrolytes all that I like how you made the point that be mindful that emotions can affect the body just as much as physical activity, physical, you know, strain. Strain. Strain would be a better one word. A physical strain, emotional strain is also very, 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 very taxing and never talked about. Well, the body is the reservoir for Correct. This, our, our, our trauma, other people's trauma, and we absorb it. The thing that people don't understand is we're talking about serious self-preservation. Because when that resentment and that bitterness starts eating away at your body, that's when you develop physical illnesses yeah. that can be serious to deadly. Yeah. You know, the statistics prove me out on this. There's been enough research on it. That if you don't know how to get rid of this and you're going to just hold on to it, and then you start developing migraines or digestive problems or cardiovascular problems, you're, or, neuro, or, or neuropathies or different kinds of things, mm -hmm. I guarantee you that you're walking in a very fine line that you may not make it sooner than the people you're taking care of. Exactly. So we're talking about self-preservation to keep you hanging in there, to do a good job, and to preserve yourself. I'll yeah. just throw in that another thing we've seen, too, is that caregivers heal from an injury or strain much slower than yeah. other people. That's Absolutely. the distress. It's true. It, and I'll attest to that. Yeah. Uh, it's true. So we're passing this on because and emphasizing it because we know how important and responsible the work is. It's yeah. crucial. But also to keep you hanging in there and the need to keep these relationships nourishing, loving, and nurturing is going to take a lot of ongoing work. For you as a caregiver to become invested in being the best person you can ever be on an ongoing basis is a lifetime process and commitment. Yes. It takes a lot of work. So if you want to do this kind of work, 
And do it well. And do it well. And, and help others. And last. And last. Prepare yourself. And the journey is a good one. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a difficult one. It's a but fulfilling, it's a satisfying calling. Oh. Yeah. And self-care is not selfish. You At, have to thank do you self-care. Because yeah. the committee upstairs, everybody's saying, oh, the, the committee says, you're being selfish. It's not. It's not. That's Don't listen to those yeah. voices. It's self-care to preserve yourself so, so you, you can, can help more. others. Yeah, yes. give more. I, I want to real quick say thank you so much. I feel so honored and blessed to have spent three weeks in a row with you on this show. And I'm really grateful. Thank you. We're so are for we. You. So are we. This has been a wonderful three episodes. I hope yeah. you'll come and back. And we want to keep going. You're wonderful. You. In the future. Thank yes. you. The compatibility just is so great. And we wish you the best on your book. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you. And yourself. Thank and you. Uh, yes, always growing. Challenging myself. Now, that doesn't mean she's getting heavy or tall. Or tall. Yeah, that's impossible, right? But well, I'll the heavy, you, maybe someday. No. But this is a big woman, and everybody can hear it. This is a, yes. in character and strength. She's, she's a, this is one of the people that have embraced life no matter you. what. And I have great respect and admiration for Mimi. Thank you. Too. It goes both Thank ways. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson. If you'd like to know more about our show or about Dr. Bernstein, please visit our website at thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. We are sponsored by Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment at sctraumatreatment.org. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next time. (laughs) 